Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John o. White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Stuart Marquardt. Stuart is the principal of Lindisfarne Anglican Grammar School. Welcome to the podcast, Stuart. Thanks, Jono. Good to be with you today. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Oh, I've been looking forward to having a chat with you. Uh, first of all, like I said before we started recording, there's there's a bunch of educators who listen uh, from Australia and also beyond. But a lot of people who are leaders, entrepreneurs in, in all different sectors and all different countries around the world. So tell us a bit about Lindisfarne and also tell us about the role of principal and what you do. Lindisfarne Anglican Grammar School is a beautiful school on the Tweed Coast in northern New South Wales, uh, right on the Queensland border. And it started as a little Christian community school uh, back in the late 1970s. Uh, Ken and Ron Dyson and the parishioners at St Cuthbert's Church, Anglican Church, Tweed Heads. Um, Ken and Ron had a vision there should be an aged care home, there should be a school for children of the parish. And uh, that vision became a reality in 1981. And uh, the school's grown since then. So we've still got the original campus at Sunshine Avenue, Tweed Heads, very close to the Tweed River. And then we have a much larger campus at Mars Lane, Terranora. And we educate about 1,783 students across both of those campuses now, uh, when we just started with a handful of students and one demountable building. So the vision and the dream became a reality. There's an incredible story around that. People mm. say, well, why Lindisfarne? That's an unusual name. Yeah. Well, the um, Bishop of Lindisfarne in the UK uh, was St Cuthbert and the parish that started the school was St Cuthbert's Anglican um, parish. And uh, also Lindisfarne, the Isle of Lindisfarne in the UK is uh, situated on the Tweed River and so is the um, school. And then St. Cuthbert was an early pilgrim who spread the word of Christianity. And obviously, you know, we have a Christian school where, where we have an Anglican background and an Anglican ethos. So there's a lot of synergy there, hence Lindisfarne Anglican Grammar School. And, and now mm. we cater for students, interestingly enough, from the Southern Gold Coast, from the Tweed Coast and from Northern New South Wales. So. Our catchments from Rabina through to Byron Bay and out to a little community called Yukai, mm. just uh, in the hinterland uh, behind the coast. Wow. So it's a pretty beautiful part of the world. We're on the Queensland border. So for those um, people maybe listening in from around Australia or around the world, we had um, over the last two years, the border closed for most of the, um, most of the time. Yes. And uh, we had nearly 300 students and 54 staff living in Queensland who are coming to school and coming to work each day with border passes and, and were completely locked out for three or four weeks at one stage. Very interesting and challenging times, but we've come through the other side like most of 
most of the world now we're all living with COVID, but it's certainly mm. been a time of great challenge. And uh, as a border school, we call our region because we are involved in both states, we call our region the border region and it's just a special place to be. Yeah, for those who aren't that familiar with Australian geography, it's got to be one of the most beautiful places, parts of Australia, if not the world. I mean, uh, I, I'm only I'm based in Brisbane, which is uh, what uh, uh, 150 hundred kilometers north um, of of where you are, Stuart. Must be around there from down to Tweed. Um, yes, yes, oh. only one hundred kilometers. But just a stunning, stunning part of the world uh, for anyone who's looking for destinations i think most people are post covid just trying to go anywhere um and, and uh you know you, you can't beat stuart's part of the world it's just stunning down there uh but let's chat about you stuart I, i'm really excited to hear some of your story let's start with growing up and your childhood as you think back to that season of your life what were some of the moments or even themes that really shaped you into the person and the leader you are today Gosh, it's such an interesting question, you know, what shaped you from your childhood? And I'm thinking, well, first of all, I had a loving um, childhood. Um, I have a brother and two sisters, and there were four of us. And um, mum and dad worked incredibly hard to give us opportunity. And the town that I grew up in, Wandai, there's about a 1,000 people there, a beautiful little town to grow up in, and I still actually refer to the town as home, even though I haven't lived there since I was 18 years of age. Um, but it still feels like home whenever I go back there. And I guess um, growing up in um, a family in those times, there wasn't a lot of discretionary um, spending, but I guess we were better off than um, many families in that we had the basics of life well catered for. You know, we had a loving home, a house, a you know, food to eat, clean, clean water to drink, um, access to medical treatments, etc. But we didn't have much spare money. But again, I felt blessed because each year, regardless of the season, um, and Dad was involved in running a carrying business supported by Mum, so carting grain and peanuts and distributing fuel and so forth, um, and mail runs and milk runs and um, all sorts of things. Um, but there wasn't a lot of discretionary income and and just like farmers um we often don't think of the related businesses but if it rains too much or if there's an extended drought or if the crops fail well no one's buying fuel or no one needs the produce carted you know for sale um etc etc so it has a chain reaction right through the whole community so um the lack of discretionary uh spending um it did lead to an aspiration in me to um, to try to have a stable um, occupation and a uh, mm. um, I guess a financial base, um, you know, for for me, for my family, uh, for those I love. Yeah, I've worked very hard with you know now my wife on that, and and my mum and dad wanted that for each of us as well, and they were very heavily focused on um, education. And uh, this is interesting because mum and dad both left school in year six. Mum um, to go into work in Brisbane in a lingerie uh, uh, factory or business where she made handmade lingerie. Mm. 
um, and dad to work um, on the family farm, um, wow. a dairy farm, a cattle stud, um, and milk cows and, you know, do all the things that come with that. And then later on um, at the age of 28 to purchase his own business uh, supported by mum and to run that business right through till he retired around 67 to 70 years of age, he worked right through. Um, so, you know, there was a strong work ethic as well um, in the family and um, and that shaped me a lot as well. Um, mm. Always worked very, very hard and um, mum's and dad's emphasis on education really stuck with me. Look, the other thing very interesting with mum, mm. I recall, um, was that she would read uh, medical books every night and her Bible. She was a very devout um, Christian. Um, but she was very, very clever and never had the educational opportunities that, that you know, I've, I've now had in my life. And one of the reasons she used to read all those medical um, books was, you know, there wasn't Medicare. <laughs> Going to the doctor was expensive. So <laughs> you only went to the doctor if you were you know, about yeah. a keel over. Otherwise, <laughs> you did everything at home. And my mum knew just about every remedy and, <laughs> and everything that was wrong with you. Wow. You didn't actually need to consult the doctor. It's very interesting. Um, so I remember her um, intellect in that way. And then dad's intellect, um, it came through a lot with service to the community. It was in local mm. government for 22 years and served the community in that way. And, wow. And um, also was incredibly um, talented at spelling for someone who went to year six at school i remember in my university studies doing dad how do you spell and he could just reel it off <laughs> so so he he was um again just uh didn't have those opportunities for further education and look one powerful story that you when you say things that shaped you yeah um about like and i guess it's about putting your children first which is a really important message for us as leaders to always consider you know, amongst everything we do, the vital role we fulfil with our own children. And um, I remember when I was about 16, um, one of my very good friends, who I'm still friends with today and went to school with, made a comment to me during one winter where, gee, your mum must love that green dress because um, she always wears it. And, you know, um, I thought a lot about that comment and and that comment did have that double edge to it. I think there was a little bit of sarcasm mm. attached with it. Well, you know, maybe she doesn't love it that much. She just wears it all the time. But, you know, I thought about that a lot over the years and I realised one of the reasons Mum wore that green dress um, every year for a number of years was that, you know, any discretionary income was going into the kids. So mum would do things like we did things that a lot of country kids didn't get to do. We did all our sport and all that sort of thing, but we still did art class and we did um, theatre and junior drama and um, we did music lessons and even a couple of times we drove all the way to Brisbane, which was quite a trip in those days, to the ballet. Um, and that just wasn't. <laughs> the sort of thing that country kids were doing back then. So yeah. we're blessed in that way as well. So mum exposed us to the arts as well. And then that's where the, any sort of discretionary income was was um, going. And, and we always, despite the difficulties with the seasons that country people face, we had two weeks at the beach every year. So again, we were <laughs> luckier than most. Yeah. We'd go to Harvey Bay, um, beautiful spot in Queensland where we were 
<laughs> younger and then we'd go off to Moochidor when we were teenagers. We always went to the same place. And that was kind of good because you got to know that place and it was almost like a second home. You'd look forward to those um, two weeks um, each year because that was the only time we'd go away. Wow. Interesting times. And, you know, all these things do shape you. They do. Um, and, yeah. um, you know, we were always involved with Sunday school and, and church and that's given um, me um, a faith. Mm. a Christian faith, but it's also given um, a really good values base that I've tried to live out and and come back to. You know, you do lose your way and certainly I'd be amongst people who, you know, during the teenage years, I wasn't a perfect teenager or young adult, but um, I don't think any of us are. And, you know, you eventually come back um, and realise, you know, the path you should be on and and choose that path, I think. Yeah, I I agree. And I think the way you just expressed that is... Uh, you know, I can see just from hearing that why I imagine students would resonate with that because I think if there's one thing young people pick up on, it's that authenticity and they want to hear that humility and vulnerability. I don't have it all together. I know what it's like to be a teenager Mm. as an example, which I was chatting with friends recently and we were just saying, wow, how much would you have to pay me to go back to being 14? no amount it's such like just the, picking that number as one age where it's like oh wow that's a tough season as a human being to be 13 14 15 and and working life out and um i, I want to ask you how much of an influence did your parents and their education both going to grade six and yet both having such a love for education that's what you know it seems it sounds like from what you talked about how much has that influenced your passion for education oh enormously really um yes it has you know they they continued to learn um throughout their lives um and that's stayed with me absolutely it it shapes you and um you know they were lifelong learners and you Mm. know i believe that i've followed that path as well yeah, absolutely. It's it's. Um, thank you so much for sharing those stories. So, for you, Stuart, as you reflect, what were or what was one of the first leadership opportunities? You know, what springs to mind a chance where, when you were very little, or for some people, it's even twenties or thirties. It depends on the journey where you had your first yes. time to really carry a project, cast vision. You had people reporting to you, whatever it was. Where you look back and think, yeah, I think that was my first real leadership opportunity. What comes to mind? Look, there's a few that go back to the school days. I, I always got involved in just about everything going at school. and I'm a bit wired that way. And um, look, one of the things I remember is being treasurer of the student um, council in year nine of um, high school. And that was interesting because I had to go and open a bank account, believe it or not, and, you know, have a signature and do a monthly report on the finances of the student council. And one of our main income sources was making icy cups in the Queensland summer and then selling them at lunchtimes and, you know, making sure that we had enough icy cups to, you know, meet the demand from the students that were pretty popular and then accounted for the funds and then invested the funds and did all of that sort of thing. So that that gave me a real sense of responsibility. Um <laughs> A couple of teachers saw uh, some ability for public speaking and 
they encouraged me to get involved in some of the competitions like Lions Youth of the Year that's been running forever and um, debating, apex debating and those sorts of things. And, and there was a real responsibility came, that came with that because you're a part of a team, you had to prepare. And if you didn't prepare and play your role in the team, you'd let the team down. So that's, that's one of the things. And then, then mm. later on, um, even at university, you know, I'd take on roles within the residential college that I lived in um, and just contribute to um, some of the social life of the college by taking on the organisation of certain events or activities, you know, whether that be, um, you know, a hungy that a friend of mine and I decided would be a good idea to do without any experience in that form of cooking and and having to then realise that we now have a responsibility for feeding 100 people, you know. And so so just embracing these opportunities. Um, but in career-wise, I would say uh, it's really when I started my career in Outback Queensland in Bullia, which is about halfway between Mount Isa and Birdsville in Outback Queensland. So when I worked in Canada years ago and I'd cross the border into America, they'd say, oh, you're from the Outlands. Well, it's actually the Outback. But um, look, I had enormous responsibility very quickly there because I was in a community of 300 people um, with about 100 attending the school with four teachers and about four support staff. And you just had to do everything wow. um, yourself, really. And, and that was good because you had to take responsibility and um, demonstrate leadership, not just for the students in your class, but across the school in general um, within the community, joining mm. local committees and organisations. And it is where, though, I also was tested, I guess, first time um, <laughs> in leadership and where my interest in um, Indigenous education and social justice and our First Nations people, our Aboriginal people and yes. Torres Strait Islander people came from because, you know, I'm talking 1985, I'm not talking that long ago. Mm. But um, I want to share a little bit about this because it's really shaped um, yes. my thinking today. Please, I'm please still do. learning in this space. But, but I found, um, rightly or wrongly, I'm not saying it was intentional, but there was this almost underlying discrimination that was occurring on a daily basis in the school. For example, the Anglo-Saxon parents would come in for parent help, but the Indigenous parents wouldn't. And I started asking questions, well, why is that? And, and it really was because they hadn't been invited in. No one had said, you know, it'd be great if you came in for parent help. It wasn't yeah. disinterest. Mm. Or wouldn't come to the school necessarily always for a parent-teacher interview, but would be happy to meet on a footpath um, or outside or under a tree and talk about the progress of their child. Um, when I first went to the school, um, only the... Anglo-Saxon kids took home reading books and um, the Indigenous children didn't. Wow. You know, that troubled me deeply. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we made uh, calico bags. All the kids painted them. We sent the books home. The kids started to bring them back every day. Their reading improved. Um, and one day a group of children forgot their books and, and I said, well, where were you last? And they said, we're down by the, um, the, the river swimming. I said, well, do you know where you left the books? Yeah, they're hanging in the tree. And I said, well, why don't we get them? We get the books. 
and I, I guess that showed also that the books are valued, aren't they? But we found the books. It wasn't a big deal. You know, we, we get so tied up and we might lose something, but we lose more by not extending the resource, don't we? You really thought a lot about that. And um, Absolutely. And then I would see, um, you know, other examples of that as well. I could go on extensively about those things, but it did shape me, I guess, is the point I'm trying yeah. to make. It made me think really very much about the role we can play in closing the gap the role we can all play in reconciliation. These are things I talk frequently with our school community and our students about because this will be the next generation of people mm. who will work um, in life beyond school and I think can make an enormous difference. So it really started a lifelong passion and interest for me in supporting um, our First Nations people to the best of the ability um, that I have, knowing that there are mistakes I still make and things that I get right, but... Um, to do the best I can with that. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that because I can only imagine being in your shoes and and it sounds like that must have been so confronting and the injustice must have, you know, um, it it really seems like it just hit you in the face and yet at the same time I'm sure to those who'd been there a long time, it was normal. And that brings up for me the question of how do you, what have you learned about how to lead social justice when you've got um different stakeholders where people have maybe uh they're not even aware of prejudice that they have and you know though you know that the right thing to do or that is to lead in a certain direction how do you take people on a journey how, how do you lead because that's that's a question I'm I'm wondering. I've got my hand up, going. How do you do that? Because I think that's so hard. What what have you learned? I think there's a lot um, of value in storytelling, and in trying through that storytelling to transform a person to stand in the other person's moccasins, if you like, or shoes. Um, I do believe in that and that can come by telling real and authentic um, stories across different contexts and you know you'd be surprised most um, Australians absolutely um, supported the 1967 referendum for Aboriginal people to get the vote the fact that it took to 1967 is quite you know horrifying when you think about it so people understand, I think, that there has been a great in, injustice. And I think for all of us as Australians, we're only just starting to realise that we never really learnt the stories um, of our First um, Nations people when we were at school. We learnt the stories of colonisation. And um, I had a profound moment on a flight as a young person when I was about 23, um, sitting with uh a person from America, also a young person, we had a great chat. And then a person from the UK, we also had a great chat. And and the person from the UK ended up saying to me, the problem with Australia is it has no history. And I wasn't mature enough at the time, hmm. but I've told that story many times in our school because since that time, it's played on my mind. I've thought about it a lot. And, of course, Australia has an incredibly proud history. Yes, hmm. it's not European history or the history of the UK, yeah. But we have 60,000, 70,000 years <laughs> of history 
that is largely unknown in our nation. Yeah, That's right. our history. Mm. And that history now belongs to all Australian people to uphold. You know, it belongs to all of us. And, and that history is important. Whenever we talk about Australia, we should be talking about our history in its uh, total. You know, not not piecemeal, not or yes. not just the European component of that history. That's right. Which is a pinhead. And, you know, also mm. we need to acknowledge the displacement mm. um, that occurred to um, the people of Australia, our Indigenous people, the people who lived um, in and on country. Um, way before European, and yes. lived with law and culture and language, mm -hmm. um, quite successful. These are important things. So I find if you take the time mm. to tell the story and to be genuinely committed to it authentically, mm. you know, one thing I've decided um, in every position I've had is to learn about the local area and the Indigenous area. Yeah. So I, you know, have lived in the land of the Waka Waka people, the Kalkadoon, the Pitta Pitta, the Manang, the Bunjalung. Um, those places I've had the good fortune to li live in, mm. I've been on country. It, you know, it's important. And I tell these um, stories within our community and um, then it becomes not a strange thing. Yes. If you well, get away from the one-shot deal and it becomes part of an ongoing conversation. Um, and I think we're all learning in that space. I am, and I'm sure so many of us are. And not everyone will agree, but I think it would be a hard person hard of heart not to see um, the injustice and the displacement, just as um, you know, the Jewish people were displaced. Mm. And you know, the Holocaust is horrifying. You know, yeah. and, and it would be a strange person who couldn't see the gross, you know, injustice of all of that as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a powerful um, an analogy to help, uh, you know, just to put it in perspective. What, what do you think causes in 2022, like you said, the vast majority of Australians even back in the 70s, saw that injustice and, and voted in that referendum. Uh, but today, what do you think causes people to still not get it when they don't understand the significance of everything you just unpacked? When you see that, do you have any thoughts on what causes that lack of understanding and awareness or where, where it comes from or, or what can be and what can be done about it? Well, I'll reference my own journey. For me, as a young person growing up, I was just ignorant. I just didn't know. And I actually think when you take the time to start to find out, it just changes you. So I really think mm. it's just that for the majority of people, they just don't know. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's a cliche, it's an old saying, but you don't know what you don't know. But I actually think at the heart of being human is to take the time to find out, um, to dwell about um, these things, to dwell on it, to think about it, to take some time to ponder. Um, mm. you know, I think 
yeah, yeah. I think that's where it starts. And I just think it is. And, and you know, look at the world we live in, 24-7 news cycle. Um, technology has so enriched our lives and so damaged our lives at the same time. Um, you know, when do we get the time to think? The, these sorts of things are the mm. things you think about in the still places yeah. in the quiet times. Um, back to the country childhood when I used to lie um, on the grass and look up at the sky and watch the clouds move. But I was actually thinking, I wasn't just watching clouds move. I was thinking about all different aspects of life and the world and pondering and dreaming of the future. And, you know, we have lost a little bit the joy of boredom, haven't we? You know, there's joy in boredom. Um, <laughs> it's when our creativity becomes alive. Um, in fact, I think it's hard to be created if, if we don't get times um, where there are spaces to be creative. So that's a whole nother area, really. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I think you hit on some really important things there uh, and appreciate you sharing that. Well, Stuart, this is, um, I, I've so appreciated you sharing that and it's been really uh, very rich actually just to, to hear your thoughts and I think it'll be a real challenge and encouragement. Um, let's jump into Leadership Express, and I've got a handful of questions for you as we sort of wrap up. Are you ready? Mm. Yes. Okay, the first question, what is a book that you've gifted to other people or recommended frequently? Oh, few. Going back, How to Win Friends and Influence People, that's a classic. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Um, that that changed me. Um that's, that was a terrific book because I'd never thought about that. Um, and I think um, that's helped me to be a little bit more emotionally intelligent as a leader. Um, one I read recently, The Happiest Man on Earth, the um, Eddie Jacko story, um, an enormous story of survival and optimism against the odds. Um, I was trying to think, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective people that had a profound impact on me, particularly two things, um, two of the habits, you know, to start with the end in mind and to sharpen the saw. Um, I haven't been very good at sharpening the saw. <laughs> I've been quite good with starting with the end in mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the things you become as you become more um, aware as a leader and you gain more insight as a leader you realize you can't look after other people if you're not taking some care of yourself yes um so you know there are three of the books good to greats another one. Oh yeah um i read a lot of jim Rohn's work when um i was younger and i've recommended that to other colleagues um those sorts of things um are things that have impacted upon me um mm. The Richest Man in Babylon, which is one I haven't read for a number of years, um, but you know, at the time of reading it, um, yeah, that had that had a quite an impact as well. There, there's some of the ones. There's many. It's, I should spend <laughs> some more time referring them on to, to <laughs> colleagues. But um, there's so many books that you read, and they all shape you, don't you? Don't they? And I kind of think you take something great out of every book you read. Yes. And I have um, this belief around, you know you'll be the same person tomorrow as you were today. And except for the people you meet, the books you read, you know, the places you go, mm. those sorts of things. I think that's, that's true. Yeah. So, um, I you agree. know, leaders are also readers. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely agree. What about a great piece of advice? What What's a great piece of advice you've received from someone in life, in leadership, uh, and it really stuck with you for some reason? Oh, gosh, I've had a few um, or many. But one that comes to mind is um, I was talking with an elderly member of the school community I was leading in Western Australia, and they had been um, in state politics in, at an earlier stage in their life and had been the local member for that area. And one day when I was struggling with a lot of issues, and I hadn't discussed the issues um, with Tom, who I was talking to, but he must have just had some sense. He said to me as he turned to walk away that day, he said, don't be afraid to lead. And it really had an impact <laughs> on me because ultimately sometimes you've got to do tough stuff. You actually just have to mm. lead. Don't be afraid to lead. Um, so that had an impact on me. Uh, another thing that had an impact on me was um, a mentor, uh, Dr. Murray Evans, um, I was looking for leadership roles and headship roles. And he actually said, you may need to look further afield. It would be good for your personal and professional growth. And I think he probably saw some of my shortcomings and he thought, well, if you're to grow, you need to grow away um, from, you know, mm. from what you're familiar with, yes. get away from the familiar and get out of your comfort zone and go and live and work in a new community and a new setting. And mm. through that, you'll grow personally and professionally. I took that advice and mm. it was life-changing. Um, and then the third piece of advice, just quickly, um, yeah. again, another mentor, um, um, Dr. Audrey Jackson, um, she said to me a couple of things, uh, and I'm talking about a school here, but it could be any business. It could be you could be the CEO of one of the world's leading banks and this would apply to you. Um some of the best work you will do is away from your school or it could be away from your business. Yeah. And that was about getting out of the everyday and the, um, you know, just immersion in what's going on every day and getting away and thinking about the things you really need to be doing. Um, so good. And... And I followed that advice. And one of the ways that follow that currently is, and again, it's from another mentor, Graham um, Harvey, who wrote a very interesting book called Seducing a Vigilante Customer, which is one I've recommended as well. Yeah, great. Um, look, Graham said you've got to spend at least a day, a quarter, future storming. Mm. And that's true. Again, otherwise you just, again, you don't think of any bigger picture stuff. And, and some organisations would do that you know, every week and every month, I, I make sure that I do it every quarter, yep. a day, a quarter, just future storm. Um, that's been good advice as well. And a piece of advice I've learned myself that mm. I give myself is don't assume when you first join a new organisation that everyone knows what they're doing. That was a rookie error. I just thought because <laughs> I'd left an organisation surrounded where, by people who were on top, pretty well on top of what they were doing, yeah. that, that was just the case. Everything. Now, that sounds very naive, doesn't it? And people might even be having a chuckle as they listen to that. No. I, essentially, that was a the <laughs> error. Um, I love it. I think, were, I think people, it's something that everyone's done. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. It's it's not silly. Yes. It's because yeah. I am thinking of how I did that. You just, it, it's such, um, 
it's such great advice because unless you're intentional about not doing that, I think it's something that's really easy to do. Sorry to interrupt. Mm. No, it's so true. And it's so true. And, and so that benefit of insight now, you know, it just makes you a better leader in future context, that's for sure. Oh, look, there was one other piece of advice from uh, Reverend Andrew Syme, um, who, when I was first point, appointed a head, he was a, a mentor again as well. And you could apply this to being in leadership in any organisation. Um, where are the still places? Who is this person? Mm. Who is at my birthday party? And there was another one I just can't pull out of my head at the moment. But the still places, the time to ponder and think. Yeah. Um, who is this person? Who am I really? Mm. We don't often ponder that. And um, who's at my birthday party? Who matters in my life? Mm. You know, who matters in my life? And the other thing he said to me, which I believe applies to every leader, never miss your child's own birthday. Yeah. Um, that's important, isn't it? And sometimes I'm sure there's people out there uh, listening today, they've had to. So I think don't beat yourself up too much. But, gee, it's made me get to birthdays that I thought would be impossible to get to. It just made it happen. Yeah, um, I love that. Another, another one, um, again, which is advice I, I would personally give that I've only started to live out in the last few years, uh, a little bit too late in some cases, is always take a phone call from your own child. Um, because mm. invariably they're probably ringing because they really need you for something. And um, so I've, I've done that now. If the phone rings from one of my own children, I take the call. Yeah. Um, that can be incredibly hard to do. There'll be people out there saying, well, that's impossible. Well, you can make the impossible possible. It's yes. just by a mind. It's a mindset shift. It is. It's, it's like um, that. And it's, um, important. it's important. It's like that thing that happens when you're off sick or when you're, uh, you know, the, it's like the, the, um, the mystery of the last week before you go on vacation, how you can wrap so many things up. I, I think it, mm. it is when it's like where there's a will, there's a way. If you decide I'm always going to answer that call, then you can, mm. a majority of the time, you can move things around to make it happen if that's your key priority. Um, and they're wonderful mm. priorities to have. So w wonderful thoughts. Thank you for sharing them. Thank you. So last question for you, Stuart. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? Take the opportunity. Um, doors open for a reason. Have the courage to walk through the door. If you're asked to do something, do it, even if you feel you're not capable yet of doing that. If someone else has asked you to do it, they see something in you that you may not be seeing in yourself as yet. And um, be mm. unusual for me to quote a racing car driver, but the late Peter Brock used to be in a television commercial that said, if you bite off more than you chew, chew hard. And, and, you know, this is the thing. Um, don't rule yourself out. If someone's asking you to do something, they see you as capable of doing it. If you think you're not quite ready, chew hard. Um, you will be capable. And often the answer is in the doing. You know, 
you start out sometimes working on uh, a problem or uh, a context that you just have no answer <laughs> for, but the answer is in the doing. Yeah. And as you set yourself to, to whatever you're wrestling with and you start to unpack it, you start to work on it, um, and you might draw on wise counsel from friends around you or mentors around you, but ultimately the answer is in the doing. So, so I would just say be um, prepared to step in and and to lead and to seek the opportunities and if asked to do something to do it and look never rule yourself out so many times and i'm sure all um leaders and ceos etc have had someone who really is aspirational is looking at a role but then they do they are oh, i won't apply i couldn't possibly mm. get the position i wouldn't even be considered i'd hardly get an interview well don't rule yourself out yeah let someone else rule you out <laughs> it's crazy to rule yourself out you actually might be the perfect fit you might be the authentic leader that that organization needs at that given time or you might be the leader who's going to be able to solve some of the issues that they're dealing with and um and so let them rule you out or rule you in don't rule yourself out so good yeah, I, lo I love that. Don't rule yourself out. And the learning is in, so often the learning is in the doing. How true is that? Sure. If, if we think of the most formative things we've ever done, where we learned the most, uh, it's often where we dropped the ball or made mistakes. And it's often where we were mm. doing something and we went, oh, wow, okay, I'm really in the deep end here. And um, that's where so much growth is, you know, growth's uncomfortable. And yeah. uh, that's so good. When I mentioned three things, three things, Jono, on that, yes. um, I think mistakes, admit mistakes. Oh, gosh, you know, there was an era where people just wouldn't admit mistakes. Like when you get something wrong, apologise. Genuinely apologise. Admit the mistake and move forward. And don't be afraid to show a bit of vulnerability um, if you're unsure about something. It's not a sign of weakness. Like vulnerability is, is strength. It means you're real. Um, you know, be who you are. Don't pretend to be someone else. Those, you know, when you mention mistakes, it made me think about that. We, as leaders, we all make mistakes. The thing, of course, is to always learn from them, but be prepared um, to apologise when you make a mistake or you, you make the wrong call. I think that's a show of strength, not a show of weakness as a leader. Yeah, can't, uh, couldn't agree more. That's, that's wonderful. Well, for those who would like to find out more about Lindisfarne or to follow you on social media, uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. Is there anywhere people can find you and the school online? Definitely can find the school online simply by Googling Lindisfarne Anglican Grammar School and you'll find the website and um, all of that sort of thing um, and news articles and, and different things um, um, by um, following me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn um i accept invitations i'm uh, i should be more active my profile's a bit out of date because i'm too busy being a leader that'd be one thing advice i give is keep your profile <laughs> up to date don't do what i've done it's right. out of date. um it's well out of date it needs a refresh i think it's very important actually in this day and age it's something that um i just must make myself do is refresh that because so many people will connect with you through linkedin i think that's how we might have initially connected yeah I think so. through yeah. LinkedIn, something like that. yeah well the good thing so, is yeah definitely uh, 
a lot of people will be listening to this the way people digest podcasts is there'll be some who listen straight away but it might be 2023 or beyond when others listen so uh you can you can look uh look great to people and they can search and down the track they'll go oh wow Stuart's uh Stuart's updated it it's all uh it's all updated so that's the beauty of the podcast it's not live so no pressure Stuart that's good (laughs) I I will do that (laughs) Now uh, I have to be accountable because I've publicly stated that, so it makes me accountable to do it now. Yeah, it's about <laughs> as big as accountability gets putting it out there on a podcast. So uh, <laughs> that's right. That's gold. That's right. Uh, well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. It's been a wonderful episode, very life giving, and just um, yeah, just some really great uh, wisdom around leadership, and also leadership and some really important issues around social justice and and uh, bridging the gap. And, and I've really loved today. Don't forget, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast, two other places where you can go to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Stuart, for being so generous with your time, for sharing so many great anecdotes and principles of leadership. Um, it's It's been a real joy. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much, John. Thanks for having me. It was actually a great privilege. So thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And, you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. 
I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.